Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type, and then we report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is American remakes of foreign films. Indeed, indeed. There's all kinds of parameters on this one, Mike. Did you set anything for yourself or just stuck with a just just a remake? Um, you know, I once again I, I relied not heavily on uh, certain lists that uh, that some of these websites have put out. Oh, yeah, and um, and sometimes I was really surprised of you know what the what the source material of was some of these movies. Um, and mm. just realizing how how long uh, that this has been done in Hollywood. You know, like going back, dating back to the the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. um, you know of remaking things that were you know previously shot in uh in foreign countries um so it it i know there's always like this uh cliche of saying like oh hollywood's run of ideas uh <laughs> perhaps that's been something that's just been done you know always been true oh yes <laughs> I mean, you go back far enough, you got what, like, oh, we've invented motion pictures. What do we do? Let's film plays. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it does kind of go back to the founding of the medium itself as well. Although I remember a film history teacher I had in college made the point, and I'm assuming he was right because, you know, he's a professional, about how in the silent era, you could just swap out the title cards for whatever language you needed and right. that movie overseas. Um, and I remember it was like, oh, that's that's a really cool way to do it. I don't, I mean... Is that akin to the dubbing argument? I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like it's a little bit different, but yeah, then it moves into the the more modern era where like, I guess there's just, there's a fear of subtitles. Yes. You either like dub it as, um, I know like the producer who shall not be named, who ran Miramax for a long time, like yes. <laughs> let's dub Crouching Tiger, let's dub uh, Life is Beautiful. Let's dub, you're like, just cause you're wanting more people to see it. I mean, I guess I'd rather that than let's just remake it because people don't want to read subtitles, supposedly. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't know. No, you're right. I mean, um, and, and a lot of times I think we'll find or we'll probably um, be in agreement here that usually the the original foreign version is superior. Am I, yeah, no. am I safe in that? <laughs> I think there's a caveat, which I'll get into with a couple movies that I picked um, that I find fascinating, especially my main pick. But no, I'm, yeah. I'm completely on board unless you're going to do something like unique and different or you have an approach to it. Yes. Like I could see maybe like, you know, like if it's specific to the culture, like if a movie, let's say, comes out of Japan and then you have like uh, an American filmmaker um, or no, let's say like the, the Scorsese example. Yeah, I don't know if you'd picked The Departed and Infernal Affairs as one of yours. I thought I thought that was probably going to be too on the nose, even though I absolutely love. Okay, <laughs> so we can at least discuss it. From and that I point. also love Infernal Affairs. Like, uh, you know that uh, that series of films are fantastic. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> but, but it's uh, also yeah. very different because, like, there's a different yeah. kind of cop structure in america and a criminal structure i mean crimes crime police police to a certain extent but it's so specifically boston and you also have a new york filmmaker who's like i'm gonna do this movie totally like a boston movie he's like oh he's never done that before that's really interesting he's a new york guy yeah um but then also taking inspiration you know from a bit of like hong kong action that has its own very unique and specific kind of crime element police dynamic that sort of thing so both standalone and are awesome so I feel like if you have something to adapt it to specifically, I'm on board. Yeah. But if you're just so. doing it, um, another one um, I always forget about, Three <laughs> Men and a Baby from the 80s. Yes. <laughs> huge, huge hit. I actually translated it or inflation calculated it. So Three Men and a Baby, uh, the 80, 1987 trifecta of Ted Danson, Steve Gutenberg, and I'm forgetting. Oh. Selleck. Um, yeah. Tom Selleck. Uh, so like you couldn't have more like, you know, the marquee male uh, names in Hollywood at the time in 87. And they're doing a French remake of Three Men in a Cradle from two years earlier, which I'm going to venture a guess that nobody in America had seen. Right. <laughs> I mean, like it's just it's it's just I'm assuming it was not available uh, in the in the 80s, maybe on VHS at some little boutique store, but I'm guessing probably not. Then you have Leonard Nimoy directing it. Yeah. Oh, people like it's just baffling all around um, and then goes on to make in 2023 dollars, 640 million dollars. 
Yeah. No, like, that one is crazy. Sometimes when you look at uh, what was a buck, you know, even just the 80s, like, you know, I know now is like getting close to like now 40 years ago, but yeah. it still feels like yesterday a lot of times in my head. But yeah, when you see some of the dollars that some of those things made, yeah. uh, like, wow, like, would that make that today? I, I don't think so. But uh, but that one ended up being like, OK, if nobody knows about this movie in this particular country, which is where we're at in the United States. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if it's a remake like that wasn't billed as a remake. It was just. Yeah. Here's a movie with like three of the most well-known male actors in Hollywood right now. Yeah. And I think you're right. Uh, A lot of times they um, Hollywood. I mean, now it seems like they more embrace the fact that it is a a remake or Mm -hmm. uh, like they'll, they'll be more upfront, but um, you know, for a long time, it seemed like when they would bring it out, you know, they, they don't really mention that it's, that it's based on a previous thing. Like uh, one example, I would say, uh, there was a, a film that it played at the the Cleveland Film Festival a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. It was called the In Untouchables or the In or I'm sorry, the Intouchables. Intouchables, yeah. Uh, which was a apparently in France was a huge, huge box office hit. Oh yeah. Uh, in France, I, I think like set all these box office records, and then um, you know, and it, it did fairly well in America as well, just as the French film. But then, yeah, a couple of years later, we got the the American remake, which I don't really think in the marketing, they didn't really lean on the fact that it was a remake of a French movie, you know. Correct, so, correct. Um, but, uh, you know, and that one actually ended up, the American remake, if I remember correctly, did fairly well. But, uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things that, uh, I don't know, why is it? Why is it almost like a dirty secret if you're remaking something? <laughs> you just want to get it to a broader audience, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Where sometimes it's like, like you said, it's promoted as like, oh, here's the remake. Um, well, like just sticking with The Departed. Like if you're into movies and you're into Martin Scorsese, like you knew that was a remake. Yeah. When it was coming out. Um, not like it was on the poster necessarily, but critics mentioned it. It was around. People talked about it. Whereas when The Untouchables was remade. Um, I feel like that was very much on the down low. Like, no, 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 no. We're just yes. going to talk about that um, sort of thing. Yeah, I just looked it up real quick. Uh, the Intouchables, the original French one, 426 million worldwide. <laughs> Crazy. Actually, yeah, I was at the art house uh, working there when it came out. And like, it just went like, gangbusters. And then yeah. we did play the American remake and it didn't do the gangbusters. We thought actually the the distributor even like called the theater and was like, what can we do to help support this? And it's like, it, people know about it. It's they saw it already. I, I don't right. know. You. Like, this is not the crowd. The multiplex is where you were hoping to make your money. The art house made the first one a hit. Job done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's also um, one I wanted to ask you about. Speaking of this, like, uh, is it on the down low or is it well known? Sure. Because I haven't seen this movie and I'm, I'm fairly positive you have. The Academy Award winner for Best Picture, Coda. Oh, yes. Is a remake. I have not seen the original um, but you I know, have the, seen the have familiar seen. family, I guess yeah. from just a couple years earlier. Yeah. I have seen the remake, of course, um, the, uh, the most recent thing, which, which I thought was, you know, fine movie, you know, kind of felt like a after school special a little bit, <laughs> but, um, but you no, know, I mean, yeah, I, I understand why it was so beloved and, oh yeah. And it's all about representation. So I, I think that's great. But uh, but no, unfortunately, I did not see the the original. That is but was sense. that were you aware of that there was an original going into? No, or? no, like I think when, you know, all that coming out of uh, Sundance and everything, it mm-hmm. kind of hailed it as this. This was the big crowd pleaser. I didn't really see much okay. about the fact that it was a remake, I think, until after it uh, was nominated for Oscars because uh, the the director was direct you know, was was nominated for best adapted screenplay. So I was just like, oh, I remember doing like kind of like a wait what like a what uh, yeah. <laughs> you know like uh, um, Ice Cube and Friday like what uh, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then you know during doing like the you know, reading between the lines a little bit. It's like, okay, it, it was a remake. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't just this like out of the blue original idea phenomenon. Uh, right. But I think, I think the, the difference was that it may not have been about a deaf family in the, in the original. I could be wrong, but, uh, 
but something like that. Uh, or yeah, I didn't dig too, too deep. I just saw it was on yeah. some list. And I was like, that was a remake. I didn't realize that, or yeah. at least like loosely based on, or how enough, like you said, to get it a an adapted screenplay credit. Um, yeah, or category, not an original one. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So I I did set up one parameter for myself. Sure. Because I wanted to see. Uh, or I wanted to have like kind of a full picture of it because I was really, that was really sticking in my head of like, what would make you, uh, you know, what what's the impulse to remake it and why? And so I was like, all right, my rule is going to be that I've seen both versions. Ah, okay. So, cause also in my head, I'm like, well, if I've seen one and we're doing this watch challenge, I want to be complimenting either something else I've seen, or if I have time, I'll just watch two. I didn't end up having time to watch two, but um, yeah. I think it would be interesting if you do have, especially specifically for this type of a watch challenge, to to kind of do a double feature of right. Depending on the film, I guess maybe if you're watching, you know, Three Men and a Baby and Three Men in a Cradle, I, <laughs> I, I would be getting bored probably an hour into the first one and <laughs> something else and be like, God, I still have a whole other one, and because you're watching the same story, but or maybe two TVs and you play them simultaneously. Yeah, it's kind of a DJ <laughs> thing. Uh, I don't yeah, know. You get like the progress. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so that was the one I, I did set the parameters that like, even my honorable mentions, um, I've seen both. So I, you know, I was like, you kind of see, maybe can you decipher what the impulse was and like why there was like an American impulse of some sort, either a producer, director, star, something that like, I want to do this story. Yeah, no, that I, I wish I would have followed that same metric because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, basically I, I picked ones that were, you know, I, I looked and on a couple different lists of things. And so basically I just was like, Oh, okay. So those are like ones that I hadn't watched yet. And I had heard or read about the, the original remake, mm-hmm. or the originals that they're based on, but uh, just didn't have time enough time for this episode to, to, to see all, but um, oh, sure. there's one at least that I've, that I've seen both. And, uh, and I, they're, kind of the same but you know it i think it's where maybe some of that cliche is like the american remake usually is not as good oh <laughs> yeah. all right well, well, well what do you got what's one of your honorable mentions here so uh the first honorable mention is, is from 1982 okay. um it's the last american virgin um so this is a one of those kind of sex comedies uh, that that were super popular in the early 80s yeah and it's based on um actually the 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 director of this one directed the original uh which is called lemon popsicle it's a 1978 israeli movie but uh but last american version is you know kind of that stereotypical um 80s film where you know you have um you know the popular guy his not so popular friend and a, uh, a girl, um, you know, comes in and basically there, there starts to be this uh, love triangle between the three of them. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those movies that, uh, I think is a, probably a product of its time and today would probably not be super PC, consider PC <laughs> and, sure. also, you know, there's, you know, it kind of, it, in some ways, like you could say it, it kind of objectifies the the girl a little bit. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of nudity from her. Um, and, uh, you know, she, I actually got to meet her in person uh, when she came to one of like the local comic con type of things. Oh, nice. She couldn't have been nicer. Uh, but you know, she, uh, she talked a little bit about like basically her first movie and she had a, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> be naked and everything. Um, but uh, it has one of the probably the most depressing endings in a movie. Uh, <laughs> really? a sex yeah. comedy, that's kind of not usually how they end. <laughs> yes. This one, it's like you think it's going, you know, if if it was following a certain formula, mm-hmm. it would be, you know, that the, the nerd kind of gets the girl. Uh, but uh, this is, you know, for a movie that's like over 40 years old, you know, it's kind of hard to be a spoiler at this point. But sure. Um, he basically, you know, he gets shot down and he, the movie ends as he's driving away in a, like a cab or something. And he's just crying, you know, oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it, it ends with this, uh, the song, uh, just once by, uh, oh God, I can't think of his name, but like, it's a, just a very like kind of eighties cheesy ballad. So, yeah, um, but, uh, it's definitely worth seeing. But I, I wish I could have found this lemon popsicle because I'm just very curious what that 
what an Israeli sex comedy is like. Oh if, yeah, if, absolutely. If there's one <laughs> that exists. <laughs> uh, that one, I, I haven't seen the last American Virgin, but that was, all, I think it's, it's mentioned in that, um, the Canon documentary. Yes. Yes. Uh, cause it's one of the, one of those Canon movies from the early eighties and home video market for sure. But also, um, uh, I, I had friends that were like really into new wave music and like, that was a soundtrack of like, oh, yeah. new wave hits after hit after hit. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the trailer for the movie, it, it just, it's like, it doesn't even really talk about the, the plot or the, the actors. It's more just talks about the fact that the cars are in it and oh, you know, sure. like all these, like, uh, I mean, super great, uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Like shake it up, uh, by the cars in there. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, it was definitely worth, a worth a watch. Uh, but, uh, Watching it with the 2023 lens is, uh, yeah, right. I think I think some younger generation people may not be super comfortable with it. <laughs> Public service announcement, folks. It's okay to engage with questionable art. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, grow as a person from 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 watching it and experiencing. <laughs> but also, you know what? There's also a stop button. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> so uh, I went with one. Actually, I came about this in a really kind of back ass word way but my first uh, honorable mention is the 13th floor from mm-hmm. 1999 it's a movie that a uh, roommate of mine at the time probably early 2000s 2001 he was really into and i was like oh it's that matrix knockoff because it came out the same year as the matrix and it's about living in a simulation and it, i mean spoilers i guess but you know like <laughs> yeah. i don't know what the matrix is about it's, you know uh sorry to spoil that for you but um so it's still that same kind of general idea and he sat me down and watched it. And I was like, oh, this, I mean, and it's not like an amazing movie. It's just, it's a solid movie. It's a good sure. solid movie. It's got an interesting kind of philosophical core to it, similar to the matrix, but it goes in different directions than, um, than the matrix does um, in some avenues. So the securities route I took to that one was I would recently been up at our beloved local uh, Cleveland cinema tech and mm. got to see uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder's first movie. Oh, it's coming to me. It was love. Love is colder than death. Total pretentious student film, you know, black and white. But I hadn't really watched too many of his movies. And so I was like, okay, you know, there's Ali Furious to Soul, some of his bigger ones. Well, one that I've been, uh, I'm about halfway through, I think it's two or three episodes. It's called World on a Wire from 1973. It's a German TV movie he made. And um, I need to make sure I actually go back and finish that because it's been over a week. So I'm probably going to forget it. But that (laughs) World on a Wire was actually an adaptation from a book called Simulacron 3, which is an American sci-fi book from the 60s. Well, that's what The 13th Floor is based on. So uh, The 13th okay. Floor is a remake of World on a Wire, but also done in Hollywood, but by another German director. Wow. Uh, Joseph Rus- Rusnick, who I'm, I'm not too familiar with his work, but um, I just thought something about that idea re- must resonate from the 60s as a sci-fi novel, which... You know, there's a few things kind of like that in 60s sci-fi novels that were coming about. I had probably the birth of computers and who knows where these computers are going to lead us kind of thing. But then that you would also get, um, you know, a German television series or a, a miniseries out of it in the 70s. And then it's still resonating in 1999 uh, where we're getting the 13th floor and the Matrix, which is not obviously based on any of this, but it's still wrestling with a lot of those themes of like, sure. what is reality? What does it mean to be human and all that stuff? Um, and I didn't realize 13th floor was a remake at all. And then I'm, like I said, I'm looking at fast finder stuff and like wait, cool. remade is what? Oh, I like that movie. I kind of dug that one. That's interesting. That's pretty. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Uh, so one of my, my, or my other, uh, honorable mention is probably in, in my opinion, the oddest film of the filmography of Cameron Crowe, uh, Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, which is uh, 2001's vanilla sky. Uh, with uh, Tom Cruise, which is a remake of a 1997 film uh, called uh, Abre Los Ojos or um, um, Open Your Eyes. So this one um, I had just I just finished watching before we started recording. So um, it's (laughs) your first time. Yes. Yes. It's weird because I like I'm a big camera crow fan. Um, I've owned it for a long time. But, you know. As we've we've learned on this this, uh, <laughs> this podcast, that a lot of times I buy stuff, but I I just let it sit on the shelf. It you know it's it completes my Cameron 
crow collection, even though yeah. I refused to buy We Bought a Zoo. Okay. I was just going to ask you, like, wait, so do you, you've seen We Bought a Zoo, but not Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I have seen We Bought a Zoo, but I, and I, but I won't buy it. I, oh, okay. That was the line. <laughs> <laughs> and no offense to Cameron if he's listening. Um, I, I love you, man. I love you. Uh, but, um, but yeah, this was, uh, this was very interesting um, just because a lot of Cameron Crowe's films, of course, are – uh, tend to be like romantic comedies or, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, say anything is, is a classic and Jerry Maguire. I, I love absolutely. Um, but this one, um, you know, it sometimes it's, it's playing with, um, just some of the dialogue seems a lot more adult than, than some of his other films. Um, but, uh, you know, like the basic premise is that, um, he, uh, he has this, uh, like he's kind of like a playboy, you know, and has like the, he's the heir of this magazine empire that his father had. There is a, uh, Cameron Diaz is a, is one of his like frequent, um, uh, you know, just they hookups around. Yes. Hookups. And, um, you know, she gets kind of jealous when he starts talking to Penelope Cruz and then, uh, they get into this, you know, he gets in this horrible accident, which uh, kills Cameron Diaz's character. And now he has kind of like a, this like messed up face and everything. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, it kind of like dabbles into different genres. Cause you know, you got drama, but there's also kind of like a sci-fi element mm-hmm. as it goes along and uh, kind of like this futuristic element. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I've always heard of the, the original, uh, unfortunately it's, it's just something I haven't seen yet. Uh, but you know, the fact that they both share Penelope Cruz, uh, because right. she's the original and she's in this one, um, I did find it, uh, I find it to be a, a pretty, pretty fascinating watch, but it's just, just looking at camera crows, other films. It just, it seems like the, the weird, uh, stepchild of his, uh, in his filmography. It just, uh, Oh, so wait, we, we bought a zoo doesn't get that label. No, <laughs> Sky gets it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that one's like that. Yeah, that's like his family movie, I guess. But okay. Uh, okay, so maybe there's like three stepchildren. Okay, that's like this one's a weird one. But I I did appreciate. There's like a really very brief uh, Steven Spielberg cameo uh, where he he's like, oh, oh, you son of a bitch," and he gives him a, a big hug at, at the towards the beginning of the movie. Interesting. Uh, but uh, but certainly, um, I, I'm glad that I finally have crossed this one off yeah. my uh, my list. But uh, you know, it, it was uh, it, it's a bit of an odd movie. But also, one one last thing I, I have to mention. Uh, just being a a locations person, seeing okay. the scene at the beginning where it's just him in Times Square, no cars around. Oh, uh, totally empty. Yeah, pretty, that that was awesome to me. Yeah, like, you know, if nothing else is memorable, at least that scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he plays around with like a lot of pop culture iconography, if I remember right. Yes. There's like, you don't realize it at the time necessarily, but it's like, oh, this is a famous Dylan cover, album yes. cover, image, or, or scene, and things like that. That, yeah, as you were mentioning, I, I was mentioning, I was like, wait, so Cameron Crowe doesn't usually do remakes. Right. Uh, as far as I can think, or even adaptations, because he's a writer. Yeah. Well. It's usually all originals. It's all original. But much. then also, I don't know if he's really dabbled in any like sci fi or like world bending. Not, like it's very much grounded in reality stuff. Yes. Not, yeah. not to my interesting. Um, so something really pulled at him with this original story that must've been like, Ooh, I can Americanize this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, certainly interesting. <laughs> um, what, what about your other one? Oh, so the last honorable mention I picked a um, little bit, mostly because uh, this filmmaker has a new movie coming out um, in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, that is Christopher Nolan. Ah, yeah. Another filmmaker who is not known for remaking stuff, granted, or even adapting stuff. Granted, there is like the Dark Knight trilogy, which does have a lot of comic book inspiration yeah. um, operating within that world. Um, for some reason, that one feels different to me um, yeah. than when in a night or sorry, in a 2002, he did Insomnia mm-hmm. with Al Pacino and Robin Williams as kind of the two main dueling uh, stars. In that one, which is a remake of a 1997 uh, film called Insomnia as well. So both called Insomnia. Uh, the first one, I'm probably going to mess this up, directed by Eric Schkolderberg. <laughs> I 
don't have the tongue for that pronunciation, but it starts Stellan Skarsgård. And that one, I believe, was a Criterion edition. Because I remember watching it before going to see the Nolan one in 2002 uh, to get like ready for it. Because I was like, okay, well, what? Because the preview for the Nolan one looked very much like the preview for the um, for the uh, the original Norwegian one. Yeah. And then watched the Norwegian one. I was like, this is a really cool, like moody, atmospheric thing. It takes place in the, the Scandinavian one, or sorry, in the, um, the Norwegian one, it's set in the Norwegian Arctic, which is like all light all the time. And you can get that with a little bit of the Alaskan Arctic as well. So you, yeah. it's, it's much more, again, kind of going back to the Scorsese infernal affairs thing where like the American version of like criminal investigation and cops is just, it's a little different than in Norway. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, there is some violence in the original one that Nolan doesn't bring to the American one. Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched. I feel like there's a thing where like they need um, like a a spent bullet casing or something. So he shoots a dog. (laughs) But I think in the Nolan one, like it was, they found a dead. I forget. Like I was like, I I just remember being a little edging, a little safer on the brutality side, but Nolan also doesn't go for um, our ratings. Yeah. Usually, if I remember correctly. I don't know if that one might be the exception. I don't remember the rating on that one. Yeah, that that one, I believe, is his last rated R film before now. Or, or um, Oppenheimer is now rated R. Oh, is it? It has been given an R rating. Okay. So this is his first R rating since. Insomnia. Insomnia. Okay. And then also in the in the filmography, though, you got to kind of place it as like, a, like now he's like an established, like yes. almost Kubrick level filmmaker. Um, at least in, in my estimation and yours too, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. but this was like, he had made following his debut feature, which was a micro budget. And just, you can just, the talent just like oozes off the screen. On oh that. yes. The acting, the directing, the cinematography, everything. It's just amazing. And then boom, hits the scene with Memento in 2000. And then what's your fault to Memento? I don't know if he went into like a safe zone of like, well, I'm going to remake this other movie. Cause it's yeah. something also was not like an art house hit in America or a well-known title criterion helped elevate it. I think by, by putting it in their collection. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting that memento and follow and following being very fresh, original story ideas, especially working with his brother, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, and then you go into remake territory, which I, I like them both. I think I do edge towards a little bit towards the original right. in this, in the, of these two. Um, but man, seeing Robin Williams, especially now that we've lost Robin Williams as an actor and as a performer and as an, as an artist, it's a really fascinating role to go back and watch Robin Williams a little like darker and edgier. Yeah. He had that. He had this time period uh, where um, he had that. And then I either maybe the same year or just the following year was one hour photo where, you know, where Robin Williams was, was very dark. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, just, you know, I love, uh, I was just texting with a friend the other day about the movie heat, you know, how much we love yeah, just heat and seeing Al Pacino in almost like heat mode, <laughs> yeah. where, you know, he, uh, just getting to see Al, Al Pacino, like, um, uh, maybe a little more subdued than, than heat. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. In insomnia, he is not in hua yeah. mode yeah. at all. Um, and also because he is not used to the environment of being in the Northern, uh, Atlantic yeah. area he is not dealing with constant daylight. Like he's getting, you know, like he's not getting proper sleep. His mind's right. starting to go. He's like, am I seeing this? Am I not? There's fog coming in. It really places the viewer. And so does the original with Stellan Sosgard playing the same role. Um, it really places the viewer in his kind of mental state of like the fog of like, what is real? What am I yeah, seeing? Right. What, am I, what am I presuming? And anybody who's been a little sleep deprived knows like that fucks with your brain. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, now, now I just want to rewatch that because it's, <laughs> it's too long, I think. <laughs> Did you have any other honorable mentions, Mike, or should we jump in with our, our picks? I think I'm ready for uh, my pick. All right, what do you got? What's your pick for uh, American Remake? Okay, so um, this the, the the movie that I ended up choosing was, uh, you know, I I had seen this. I remember seeing it at the, you know, the video store. It used to get played pretty often in TV in the, in the mid-90s, uh, but – it was like kind of one of those light bulb moments where I realized that it, you know, it was a remake of just such like a, uh, a very popular foreign film that, that had just come out a few years before it. Uh, so this is, uh, the, the movie that I ended up watching was point of no return from 1993, which is a remake of Luke Besson's La Femme Nikita. 
Oh, um, Richard Fonda. Yes. 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 Having been found guilty of the crime of murder, it is the judgment of this court that you be sentenced to die, and may God have mercy on your soul. The government gave her a choice. Death. Or life. We've decided to give you another chance. As an assassin. We need a young female operative. I think she's the one. What do I gotta do? Girl number five, take out the bad guys. Do not shoot the good guys. What do you do when you're most uncomfortable? Okay, come on, come on, hit me. I hit. Ah! I want immediate improvement or she gets a bullet in the brain. You might want to try smiling. Why are you so serious? He mentioned the word bullet and he mentioned the word brain. You hear me? Your name is Claudia Doran. You live in Venice, California. Where are you from? It's not a trick question. Chicago. And your code name is Nina. Hello? Nina, one hour. There are three people sitting behind you on the balcony. I don't understand. I want you to put two bullets in the VIP. Once she took their deal, she passed the point of no return. How are you? Just blew up a hotel. How the hell do you think I am? You like living with a ghost. In a minute. You never tell me anything. They gave her a new life. I know you like that you made me into something different. Please, Bob, let me go. They never thought she'd want to live it. If you pull this job off for me, I'll see what I can do to help. Bridget Fonda. Point of no return. So, uh, the Femme Nikita, of course, um, you know, super popular uh, film. I, you know. Yeah, uh, I I don't have the box office numbers, but I but I know that it probably did translate to uh, American business, and also there was a TV show adaptation that uh, was uh, right. it was a USA Network show for a couple years at least. Uh, or I, I just remember it used to play it after wrestling uh, <laughs> when I was growing up. Um, but uh, so yeah, point of no return is the is the remake and uh it was directed by john badham who is uh or i I might be saying his last name wrong but he's kind of like one of those journeyman um directors who did war games he also did uh short circuit and um a a couple other yeah um you know pretty well-known action films uh but uh you know he's uh He's certainly kind of like it seems like meat and potatoes kind of uh, <laughs> action guy. Yeah. Um. But uh, this one, uh, you know, it, it has our Bridget Fonda, who was I think at that time uh, was just coming on the scene because she she did singles with Cameron Crowe like the year before. Uh, nice. You know, she's you know a very good looking woman. Uh, you know, and she had like that that moment in the nineties where she seemed to be kind of like the it girl. And, mm-hmm. you know, even of course um, she's probably going to be forever remembered for being in Jackie Brown. Um, oh know, yeah. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino, maybe like her last memorable role. I, I don't know. Uh, unfortunately for, <laughs> uh, I, and I know she's probably still acting, so uh, I don't want to put her down, but um, this was kind of her at her, maybe the height of her, like, you know, hotness or something, <laughs> but uh, you know, she paid, she, Basically, the, the the premise is you know she she plays kind of like a uh, you know she's with this a criminal organization at the beginning and she gets arrested um, and you know sentenced basically to uh, life in prison mm-hmm. uh, and then they um, you know she quickly realizes that um, you know this government organization has is training her to be this assassin and. Uh, so uh, Gabriel Byrne plays like the, uh, you know, uh, he plays the guy who's basically in charge of her. Um, and uh, so quickly, you know, she's like, they learn like she's a knack with, with guns. And uh, she also is like, you know, super quick on her feet. But uh, it almost kind of immediately goes from this like kind of all these like cool training sequences to she meet, she has a meet cute moment with uh, Dermot Mulroney and uh, you know, she starts to kind of domesticate herself, but then she's getting called to do these jobs uh, because like basically 
the the condition of her being out of out of uh, prison or uh, captivity is that she has to she's basically bound to to make all these different deals or, or these hits and stuff. Yeah. And um you know there's actually some decent action but unfortunately I mean just in comparison to the original this is like if I was like a fan of like the original and I went to go see this, I'd be like, this freaking sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of bland. And uh, like some of it, it, it just got a little boring to be honest. Mm-hmm. And just the, the gaps in between, like when she has to make these, the hits, I feel like this whole, like the, the whole relationship with Dermot Moroni just kind of, you know, it's kind of lame, but, um, but certainly I'm glad once again, it's like, this is something that I, I feel like I've should have seen before because it's, it, you know, it had its day in, in cable, like where it seemed to be oh, yeah. on quite a bit. Um, and you know, it's got like, just like that, a very like kind of moody cover. It looks cool. You know, her with the gun and everything. Oh yeah. Kind of in shadow over shoulder. Yeah. Like it seems like, okay, this, you know, could be a good time, but you know, I would say it's like, it's a perfectly fine movie. If, uh, if I didn't realize, you know, or if I had no idea that the original French awesome film exists out there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, had you seen this one or, I, you know, not in a long, like I watched it on VHS with some friends when, like you said, we saw the cover and we're like, Oh, oh my gosh! Look at you know this, yeah. this is a great action yeah. movie, like this kick-ass action movie, and we watched it. And I, I don't remember it terribly well, but I do remember finding out I don't know how because there wasn't the internet when I <laughs> yeah. watched this on VHS um, that La Femme Nikita was like the inspiration for it. Yeah, maybe it was just the credits actually, you know, based on the film. Oh yeah, it says yeah, it okay. says That's right cool. in there. It says based on Nikita, uh, like so it doesn't we, say La Femme, it just says Nikita. But we figured out what it what it really meant. And then we rented that movie uh, pretty soon after that. We're like, what, who is yeah. this guy? <laughs> and I think within a calendar year of, of, of discovering this one and La Femme Nikita, uh, the professional was yes. in theaters and we were like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the professional is obviously the professional. So um, yeah. Yeah. It was a good springboard to get us kind of into, into Luke Passan. Yeah. And I know like his, you know, he hasn't really made anything like super good. Uh, Not but really. He had that, he had that moment there yeah. in the nineties, uh, that stretch where, you know, he, he showed his talent, uh, but yeah, yeah. it's like, thing. <laughs> yeah, he gets like, he gets talented people, but he, but he does seem to have a thing for like these like badass, really skinny women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's his thing. Uh, it's his thing. Um, both, you know, in marriage and in, in casting. Yes. Um, <laughs> I do remember, though, like because you referenced Jackie Brown, I remember uh, going to see Jackie Brown with a friend of mine. Um, I was in college at the time, but a friend of mine from high school and I went to see it and she knew Bridget Fonda from Single White Female. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to see this movie. Well, it's because it's Tarantino and fucking Pam Greer. Um, but I was like, no, 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 Bridget Fonda's from Point of No Return. Like, I, so I yeah. had at least some sort of a fondness for at least some elements of the movie to be like, that's the Bridget Fonda movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In the 90s, so. I did uh, look up real quick, and do you know who Bridget Fonda is married to? No. Danny Elfman. Wow. Okay. So, and it cool. says that she pulled back from acting soon after they got married in like 2003, early 2000s to concentrate on family life. So she's not currently ah, out there okay. in acting. So really, we're just primed for a Bridget Fonda return. Yeah. Maybe. Point once the kids are old enough. Hey, Quentin has a, you know, he's... He's got movie 10 coming out. Maybe That's he'll, true. maybe it'll be like call her back all. Yeah. All yeah. the actors back, <laughs> all the living. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. If you're going to do your last movie, you got to get all your favorites back in. Yeah. Cause Obviously, we know he's not doing would... any AI shit. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. That's true. I did read uh, the other day cause they're starting to film that in September this year, I guess. So about a month from now, uh, but that the lead is like, going to be like the new leading man everyone's going to want so like i guess sort of an unknown is what he's, awesome. he's going for there but anyway no actually i would go i would give i would give a uh, point of no return another watch actually because i not that i would expect greatness from it but like i have a fondness i guess for it i was like yeah oh, man, i haven't seen that in a while i'm picturing a few scenes from the trailer and i did make one screen grab actually of of a uh scene where she 
because like I had the subtitles on, so I I was just like, okay, oh god, this is like this is great for the podcast. So I, she said, what if I what if I said you can kiss my ass in the crack, um, <laughs> which I, I I've never heard that kind of like writing or line delivery. So yeah. Um, I mean, we always hear "kiss my ass," but "ass in the crack." In the cra- I mean, yeah, that's, uh, a little that's, cherry on top there for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you end up picking? <laughs> All right, so I went with a very unique situation, and I don't know how often it has happened. The same director directed both versions of this movie. Ah, okay. And so I was like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting." And I'd only I'd seen one of them. I had seen the American one, but I had not seen the original one. Yeah. So I went back and watched the original Funny Games from 1997. There's someone here. Hello. Sorry to disturb you. I'm staying next door. Please, come in. Wow, that's a really great set of clubs. Mr. Farber. What? You want to call someone? An ambulance? Or, Or the police? Why are you doing this? Have a seat. Please. I'm Paul. We're going to make a bet now. You bet that you'll be alive tomorrow at 9 o'clock, and we bet that you'll be dead. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch the tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> Why don't you just kill us? You shouldn't forget the importance of entertainment. Nice. Um, I guess the the warning, if you're interested in watching these movies, is uh, not necessarily for the faint of heart. Uh, Michael <laughs> Haneke is the director in both cases, writer-director in both cases. He is in that kind of cinematic provocateur category in my brain. Yes. Where not every movie, like Gaspar Noe is like poking you in the eyeball every time he makes a movie. <laughs> but, and, uh, you know, I love him for it. But and, but the Haneke can go and make like the, um, what was the one, like the white, ribbon oh yeah or more yeah. or there's certain ones where he does where you're like there's still kind of a gut punch um or like cache is a really solid one but that also kind of fucks you in a david lynch kind of way i think <laughs> but so he makes funny games in 1997 and then he makes funny games again in 2007 so like you know 10 years later exactly but then on top of it it's basically a shot for shot remake which was kind of what i was referencing earlier because i thought of the whole idea of like i should have pushed play on two tvs just to see <laughs> yeah. them line up um, with that one in, in particular. So in 1997, he uh, makes this movie. I'm just double checking that. Yeah, he's, so he's writer, director. Um, and then when he comes to America to remake it, actually, I don't even think they filmed in America. I think they filmed somewhere else, but it's a you know Hollywood-ish production and the remake. Um, gets a new you know cinematographer, editor, producer, score, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, he's still, he's still the writer, director of it. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the movie, it's it's basically like a, a wealthy, affluent couple with their young son um, are, I think, at their like vacation home or on a strip, you know, somewhere. It's yeah. not like their main home, main home. So it's like a an area of, uh, of vacation homes. And then these two uh, young men show up like, oh, could you, we borrow an egg or whatever? And they're just like kind of lying, whatever. But they get in and it really gets under your skin because the two young men who end up being the torturer murderers really kind of pick away at like social politeness in an inter- interesting way that it makes yeah. you comfortable. Like just fucking kick them out of your house. What do you, but <laughs> people are like, you know, they're good trusting people. They're, they're kind of going with it, but it's that like, how far can, which I think Hanneke is really great at. Cause he pushes the audience this way too. Like how much can you put up with before yeah. you would just say no and get out of your house. And it doesn't actually matter in this particular case because they're going to fuck with you anyway, but <laughs> it, it get the setup to it. You're like, Oh, Oh, like it just kind of like, this is off. They're being rude. This is creepy. And then, you know, the violence starts happening. So there were some labels of like, you know, it's kind of like torture porn. And, and in 2007, that's a legitimate accusation because you have like Eli Roth, I believe, is on the scene. You've got yeah. some going around. It was sort of a thing that was going. We, we have I, I spent in your grave remakes are happening. Like, yeah, it was a weird time in American horror. But and, I, and, and some critics, critics I adore, like level that at at Haneke, um, especially with the remake. I think the remake was less enjoyed by critics than the original one so w- one one critic quote from uh joshua rothkopf from time out new york who I, I read on on occasion 
um, I don't know if he's still reviewing or not, but I used to read on occasion. He called the remake a sour project that defies anti-imaginative. <laughs> that hurts. Like, wow. <laughs> and then there are also some other things like A.O. Scott mentioned about, you know, at least with the remake of Funny Games, Mr. Haneke shows a certain kinship with someone like e. Riley, Eli Roth, whose hostile movies have brought nothing but scorn from responsible critics. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> is that good or bad? I don't know. But I, I think it's kind of interesting because what he was doing like he even wrote uh, Haneke even wrote a piece that was in a compendium of stuff like looking at his films called violence in media. And he wanted to remake it in America, uh, which spoke to the whole thing I got in my, in my head about like why remake it, especially if you're the same director, like, would you want to remake the same exact movie you did 10 years ago, shot for shot with just different. I'm like, I don't know how creatively interesting I would find that. At least if you have like a Gus Van Sant doing a shot for shot psycho remake, you're just a fan. Maybe you just want to feel what it's like to be in, in the, on the set and making yeah. that story. I get that impulse. I didn't care for that impulse, <laughs> but I get that impulse where like somebody wants to just type out their favorites, you know, Hemingway story. Cause you just want to feel what it's like to type out that favorite story of yours or whatever. But this is like your own that you're revisiting. And Haneke uh, wrote this article or this essay called violence in media. And he originally, I guess, wanted to do it like in America because he was fascinated by Americans tolerance and enjoyment of violence in media specifically and i was like oh okay so now he just actually got to do it plus he put naomi watts and he put tim roth oh my god like you just yeah kind of made me more interested in seeing especially like a post mahon drive naomi watts when we all knew like what she was capable of you're like oh my god there 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 is one difference um in the way he stages uh, one of the deaths yeah watch it side by side um, and it's, you know, a, a younger actor's death or a younger uh, a child's death. So it's like, I think it's a little bit more effective in the American one than it is in the original one. But yeah. I think that also probably turns some some viewers and especially some critics where you're just like, Jesus Christ, you're rubbing our faces in this or whatever. Uh, I was he did a great job with casting the, the two uh, torturers. Uh, uh, oh, Michael Pitt and uh, Brady Corbett. Because I wanted to like i I remember seeing this distinctly in the theater. Yeah. Wanting to jump into the screen and just beat the crap out of both of those. Oh my guys. God. They're just the worst. So their their character they're names so officially yeah. are Peter and Paul. So yes. no symbolism there, I'm sure. But they <laughs> yeah. also call each other like Tom and Jerry at one point. They call each other Beavis and Butthead at some point. Yeah. He's Haneke is doing something with his actors and with the story. And it is definitely not for everybody, but it is going to get a reaction out of you. And I think it's interesting. Oh, they also break the fourth wall. They like, they look at the camera a few times. Yeah. Not a ton where it's like wink, wink, nudge, nudge the whole time. But it's a few times you're just like, what the fuck? Cause like, it makes you complicit. It feels like in what's yeah. going on. And you're like, no, I want to jump in the here and kill you, <laughs> you know, or, or beat you or whatever. So it's really, I mean, he's really pushing some audiences buttons. And I dig that um, when I'm ready for it, I, I, yeah. I dig that. And I think what he did there, especially remaking it in America, like he wanted it said in America and he wanted an American audience to see it. And he knew if we remake it and it's in English, especially with these, these, these high caliber of actors we've got more Americans may be tempted to go see it than yeah. you know, go for the original one. You no, know, he's one of those. He's just such an interesting filmmaker. Like, I mean, I, I haven't really looked up a lot of interviews with him or anything, but he just seems like, you know, just want to call him. Like, he's a rascal, you know, like he's like, <laughs> like he's like kind of, you know, yeah. one of those like, uh, it's just a, a hardcore likes to fuck with people. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and if you look at his filmography, critics are ready to take him seriously and wrestle with the topics and things in his, um, in his filmography. I just was looking at the um, Metacritic Rotten Tomatoes scale for like all of his movies going back to his uh, first feature film. And it's usually like high sixties to like Amor is at like 93. Yeah. Funny games. The remake is the one hanging out at like 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and 44 on Metacritic. The yeah. original funny game, 71 and 69. My interpretation would be, I don't think American critics like seeing their, getting their noses rubbed and the kind of violent <laughs> obsession that we've got here. And they didn't care for that too much, but you know, he's, he did it for a reason. Yes. So no, he's certainly, you know, he, he's talent. He's super talented. I, I oh, yeah. highly respect a lot of his stuff. <laughs> uh, have you seen the original one or just the remake? I, I have seen the original. Okay, which is, nice. Oh, it, they're both just rough. They're, oh, yeah. they're hard to watch. It, yes. it, it's like, yeah, you're like on the edge of your seat the whole time, even though it's kind of subtle, 
you know, it, it's not like an overtly like right. edgy movie, but it's like, oh man, it's right. it, it, it gets so much emotions through. Well, it's one of those two, like it's it's one of those. I noticed that I'm just like all tensed up in my seat, yeah. and then I'm like, oh no, breathe. You're not in this scene, but like it just it places you so so well um, within there. So. Our official watch challenge picks for American remakes are Point of No Return from 1993, which is a remake of La Femme Nikita from 1990, and Funny Games uh, 2007, which is a remake of Funny Games from 1997. Uh, Mike, what have we got in front of us for next time? Well, perhaps with uh, now we're in the the middle of summer, Mm -hmm. I think no better um topic than hangout films oh yeah is that something we need to define loosely or hmm i don't know i mean that doesn't have to be summer hangout films uh because you know you can certainly have a hangout movie that takes place in any any oh yeah yeah absolutely but i think i'm immediately transported to thinking about summer when you know just hanging out with your friends that's the vibe i get too yeah like not that it's summer set but just like it's not plot driven necessarily there's no narrative that's like propelling you but i mean i think you were just mentioned uh american graffiti not too long ago oh yeah it's that kind of thing you're just you like the vibe of the movie you just want to hang out with the movie and what's it about it's just about some characters you want to be friends with the characters yeah exactly exactly Um, but definitely gonna be watching a brand new one because like my list i have a a letterbox list of hangout movies to (laughs) see but generally that's also a genre where i just want to go back and revisit and oh yeah again so New ones for next time. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or a genre you'd like covered on a future show, or if you have your favorite hangout movie you'd like to forward to us as well, uh, we're always looking for suggestions. Watch Challenge Podcast at gmail.com or the links in the show notes on whatever device you're using right now. You can send us a quick note pretty easily. Until next time, folks, rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you're using, and we'll see you with the next challenge. Bye. Bye.